Well, hello, CMYK community, and thanks for listening in to another CMYK Talk podcast. My name is Matt, and today we are continuing on in a series that we launched last week that we're entitled entitling Roots, Branches, and Fruits, or How Christianity Grew, or the Church Grew into What It Is Today. This is uh, a unique series for us, but I think a really, really important one because we're just taking uh, over the next few weeks as a community a look back into the history of the church and what are the roots uh, that were planted that we see within scriptures and within history, and then what are the branches that grew out of that. And so um, if you can, you can probably understand that this idea of church and Christianity is a couple thousand years old, and within that, there's a lot of stuff that's happened and a lot of left turns and right turns and ups and downs, and within that, uh, we find ourselves here today in the year 2018, and many times, if you're like me, you can ask yourself the question of, man, how did, how did we get here? Like, how, how is Christianity like this? Why is Christianity like this? Why is church like this? And how are some people saying that they follow Jesus, and it looks like that, and other say that they follow Jesus, and it looks completely different, and, and it feels like sometimes we completely lost the plot and the whole idea of what church and Christianity is. Really, I mean, for many for many of us, we can wrestle with like, does this thing have any meaning, any relevance, any true significance in our world today, or is it just something archaic that we're all holding on to and pretending that matters? Meanwhile, there's this part of us that goes, I don't think this. I think we need to move past this, grow beyond this, rather than holding on to it. And so, to kind of help us understand why we are where we are today, and to maybe find some good fruit, some good things, and also to talk about honestly and candidly. Some bad things that have grown out of this thing called the church. That's what we're doing. And so it's a big series, and uh, there's a lot to it. And I said it last week, and I'll probably say it every week, but man, as, as big as this is, uh, I'm a little nervous and apprehensive, but I think this is important, and this is not the end-all, be-all talk, and by no means do I sit as the greatest expert ever on church history. But as someone that's kind of lived in this a long time and spent a lot of time studying and researching, trying to understand some of these things, I thought it would be good for us to at least talk about it and for me to kind of throw some ideas and thoughts out there to hopefully stir some conversation conversation in your own life. And so today we're going to look at another root that we find within the scriptures that was planted that we see the church and Christianity grow out of. And where I want to look is found in the Gospel of John. Many of you know uh, the story of Jesus, and kind of overarchingly the story is that he shows up as a new kind of teacher and rabbi in the early A.D. period of history. And he's teaching and talking about some new and unique things. And in this teaching and in his actions and miracles, as the story goes, this, he has and grows and amasses this following. And lots and lots of people are interested in what he's up to. Well, those in power, particularly those in religious power, they really struggle with who this new teacher is and what he's saying because it differs from what they're saying and it challenges their power and their influence and significance. And so the religious the religious power comes against Christ and ends up crucifying him and having him killed because of this new kind of teaching and thoughts. And in this crucifixion, it doesn't end there, but we find this resurrection. And after this resurrection, after this new life of Christ, he comes back from the dead. The tomb is empty. Jesus begins to interact with his followers, and it's these short little snippets and snapshots at the end of the Gospels where Jesus is around communicating with his disciples and these followers that he amassed. And there's this interaction in John chapter 20 that I just find so fascinating. 
This is right before Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, right before he's about to be gone and no longer around in the physical flesh and blood sense. And this is the interaction. This is John chapter 20, starting in verse 21. It says, Jesus said to them, his followers, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is a fascinating and huge interaction in my mind. Because what we see within the Gospel of John is before this moment, this is John chapter 20, before this moment, in both chapters John 14, and then later on in John 15 and 16, Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus begins to speak of this thing known as the Holy Spirit. Some translations of the scripture call it the Advocate. And it's this idea that Christ is going to go, he's kind of prepping his followers to say, I'm not going to be around forever. And he starts to use this language and says, it's actually going to be better that I'm going. This is good for you. And the reason it's good for you is rather than just me here, there's going to be this thing known as the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the Spirit of God that's going to be a part of this process and this work that I'm leaving to you. So you're not alone. And Jesus begins to speak of this thing known as the Holy Spirit in grandiose big terms and saying, you're going to see greater things because of the work of the Spirit than you saw in and through me. This is huge. So if if we can just put ourselves in the position of Christ and his followers in this moment, he's been building this anticipation towards this day when the Holy Spirit is going to come and that it's going to be greater, it's going to be better, it's going to be more miraculous and awesome than anything they'd seen up to that point, and it's found in them receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the story up to this point. And then in John chapter 20, there's this moment where Jesus is here. It's ready. It's time. He's about to go, and they're getting ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the moment. You ready? Here's the buildup. Drum roll, please. Everybody get ready because the Spirit's about to come, and Jesus does this. He goes, receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And that's it. I find it a little comical. Because we live in a culture of ceremony. Anytime anything big happens in our life, we expect there to be something large attached to it that ourselves and everybody around knows this is big and things are no longer the same for my life. So you take something like graduating high school. You don't just go to your last class in high school, pass the test, and then never go back and just know you're good. No, you've got to have a ceremony. You've got to have this big deal moment where all your friends and family show up at Metro Park Arena in Billings, Montana, and they watch you watch this four-hour ceremony and listen to hundreds of names called and listen to a bunch of speeches, some of them fairly mediocre, but you go through this whole ceremony. You've got to have a big party and open house and invite everybody to come and say congratulations and offer you presents, all these kinds of things. That's how we know that we're graduated. When it comes to college, we have a ceremony that we go through when, it, when we go off to college. When we turn 18, there's some kind of big party, especially when we turn 21. There's a ceremony that we've got to go through. And many of us remember that ceremony the morning after. We feel it uniquely because we're now an adult. 
ceremony tells us that something has happened. When you get married, you've got to invest a bunch of money and invite all your friends and family once again to show and see this giant shift and change in your life. Here in this Gospel of John, here in the Scriptures, is this moment where everything is shifting and changing. The Spirit of God is coming and to be found in the lives of the followers of Christ. (laughs) And the ceremony is this. This is something that we aren't accustomed to because it's not big and it's not flashy. But here's what's important to note. This was plan A for Jesus all along. That the stories of Scripture, the story of the New Testament, is not Jesus showing up and transitioning and starting the church by establishing some kind of institution. Jesus isn't doing that in this moment. Jesus isn't saying, okay, here's some building plans, and I want you to build these buildings and make sure there's a steeple and make sure there's a platform and some screens, and you're going to need to evolve technology, maybe add some lights later on. And No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't sit everybody down and say, okay, here's the ceremony. Here's the transition into what's next. I've got these books, and I want you to all read and memorize and talk about these books and get everybody together to talk about these books every single week. That's not the plan. The plan doesn't revolve around some kind of certificate, some kind of graduation. The plan doesn't revolve around some kind of uniform or hoops to jump through. The plan is simply this, Jesus looking his followers in the eyes and saying, you must see and know that you have received the Spirit. And the Spirit is found in this breath. You see, it's not just significant to know that this was plan A, but to know that this plan revolved around breath. This is what Jesus uses to communicate and transfer this spirit. Why is this important? Well, within the original language of this New Testament text, Greek, the word used every single time you see the word spirit in our English translation of the Bible is the word pneuma, in the Greek. And pneuma does not just mean spirit, but it also means wind, the movement of air, or breath. That at the very core of how spirit is defined within the scriptures, it's found within breath. This is how spirit is to be seen and defined. And this is how Jesus chooses to kick this whole thing off by breathing on the disciples that they would know and sense there is this breath present, this air present that you already possess and have received. And this isn't something that we just see in the New Testament, but it actually goes back into the Old Testament as well, because in the Old Testament, the same word spirit within the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament is written in, is the word ruach. And ruach also means wind, the movement of air, or breath. This is a foundational part of spirituality, that spirit is not found outside somewhere somehow and we're trying to grasp it and bring it 
into something somewhere somehow. No, spirit is this air and breath that is already present. It's how Jesus chooses to kick this whole thing off, and it's how we are still sustained to this day in our own being. It's breath. On top of that, I find it really interesting that the early church, particularly in the book of Acts and then through the writings of Paul in the New Testament, they use this verbiage of spirit. They call it the baptism of the spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that language used before. For some of you, that might be kind of an off-kilter idea because you've seen something or experienced a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it got really weird really quickly, and you're not quite sure what to think about it. Well, this word baptism in the Greek is baptizo, and baptizo means to wash or immerse. So the idea of baptism of the Spirit is to be washed or immersed in the breath that you already possess, to find yourself fully present in your breath, and what's already taking place in what you already possess and have to be immersed in that presence and life and embrace. This is what kicks off everything for the church, and this is a monumental shift for humanity. Because we, as human beings, love institutions. We love powers and authorities outside of ourselves that can speak to who we are. And in their speaking, we feel empowered and we feel like we now have the authority to go and do what we want to go and do. So when you look at history, there's been things like kings and armies that we look to to give us the authority and power to live the kinds of lives that we want to do. There's governments businesses, these institutions that are established, and we all look and say, man, that's power, and we look to them to grant us what we want. Parents, teachers, bosses, churches, priests, and pastors. We all have experienced committees that have to make decisions about what's allowed and what's not allowed, and we have all identified the cool people, that they're the ones that set the tone for everyone else. What's happening here in this moment in John, and what happens with the early church, this root that's seen, is Jesus is breathing on his disciples and he's saying, I'm sending you as I have been sent, and here is this empowerment, this authority, and this ability for you to go out and do these things, and it's found in your very breath. Receive the Spirit, the breath of God, because this is all that you need, and you already possess it and already have it. And so where our lives have this tendency to see all of these things that we want to go and do and become, these things of life and beauty and truth that we want to engage in, but we feel like, man, I can't go there, I can't do that, I can't say those things, because we don't feel like we've been empowered or we have the authority. And where all of history has established all of these different kings and governments and business and bosses and churches to try and hand out and divvy out this authority and power to other people, this whole Jesus narrative is founded on, no, you already have it. You already possess it. It's understanding that that thing that you know that you need to go and do, that right and good and beautiful work that's in you, that keeps you up at night, that you already possess the power and authority to go and do those things. And for you to sit and wait for someone else to give you the go-ahead is for you to miss out on the 
Ruach, the pneuma, the spirit of God that is in you. Many of us, how many of us have found our lives sitting on the sidelines, waiting for someone else to invite us into the game, into the game of justice and grace and peace, into the game of caring for those in need around us. And we feel like, well, man, I'm I don't have an authority. I don't have any power to do that. Here is this moment in the scriptures that kicks off this whole idea of church. And it's found in you seeing you already possess everything that you need to be sent as Christ was sent. So this list of authorities and systems and institutions that are always trying to say, no, 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 no. We're the ones that get to tell. We're the ones that get to identify who has the power and who has the authority. There is this work of Christ that says, no, you already have it. So breathe deep, immerse, baptize yourself in this present moment and spirit and pick this up and go. Again, this is a monumental shift. It's something that many of us have experienced, and particularly in the last 10 years. Because there's been this institution that's known as the local news And anytime something would happen within a small community, there was this institution as the local news that they're the ones that had the cameras and the technology to beam information up to a satellite. And in that beaming of information, all all the TVs within that community would would be able to receive the signal and know what's going on within their community. And they relied on the power and ability of the local news channel to to possess this authority in communicating what was happening in their city. But as many of us know, about 10 years ago, there was this thing called the smartphone introduced. And the smartphone was an opportunity for rather than just a couple local news organizations to possess a camera, all of a sudden, everyone had a camera. And when something would happen, rather than waiting for the local news station to show up and report on what was taking place so that we could know what's happening in our community, all of a sudden, everybody started pulling their phones out of their pockets and recording what was happening. And it was posted live to social media, and people were already liking, sharing, and commenting on it long before the news station could ever even pack up their cameras. A couple years ago, in 2010, there was a tornado that hit Billings, Montana. And it tore the roof off of the Metro Park Arena, where all our high school graduations take place. And in that moment, our local news stations, they couldn't get there in time to record what was taking place. And so that night on the local news, what we saw is the local news channel was actually broadcasting different cell phone footage, different cell phone videos that were taking place of the incident happening, of the tornado wreaking havoc because they couldn't get there in time. In other words, this institution that had held power for years, decades, as the only one that could you know, get the information out there to their community, they lost the power and now they have to lean on the power of individuals doing what they already possess and using the cameras that they already own. You see, this is a seismic shift for humanity, once again, the work of Christ. Because as we have always relied on institutions, authorities, and powers outside of ourselves, all of a sudden, those authorities' powers begin to crumble. 
because the power is now found within every individual that we breathe deep and possess the spirit of God. So the things that you're waiting for to give you authority and power are simply a facade because you already possess it. It's in this work that we see the last 2,000 years of church history. And it's in this work that you could probably understand there's some good fruit and bad fruit that has come. And one of the things that we see take place time and time again throughout history is that this is a very individualistic approach to spirituality. And that can be a good thing, because all of a sudden we see that we possess the power ourselves, and we're not looking for someone else to give it to us. That's great. But in that work, there's also a high level of emotion. We see it within the scriptures that when the Spirit comes, there's these moments of high intensity and emotion, and we've seen it throughout history, and some of us have maybe experienced that kind of emotion of the moving and the work of the spirits, and that's the language that we would use for what's happening. And what's happened throughout church history, particularly in the last few years, is that we've taken this highly individualistic and highly emotional thing called the Spirit of God, immersing ourselves, baptizing ourselves in the Spirit of God, and it simply centers around our own individual emotional experience. And so what we find is that people have an emotional reaction to something. And it's in that emotional reaction that the language that they use is that that was the Spirit of God moving on my life. And it was a good feeling. It was like warm tinglys all over. And because we had this emotional, individual kind of experience, there's this part of us that says, well, I want to have that again to know that the Spirit of God is moving again. And so we look for that warm fuzzy again and again and again. We go and we find spaces and environments where there's music that's played, where the chord structure and the melodies are such that they move us emotionally. And they move us in such a way that we walk out of that place and go, man, the Spirit was really moving. I was just in the Spirit. How many of us have heard language like this before? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God becomes this hyper-individualistic and emotional experience, and that's all that it is. And it quickly becomes that the point of church and the point of the Spirit of God, the work of God, is trying to get more and more people into locations to experience some kind of emotional reaction to some music or an emotional reaction to a talk, and it's in that that the Spirit of God is found. This is bad fruit. Because what we find within the scriptures, what we find in this moment with Jesus, remember in John 20, is him saying, as I have been sent, now I'm sending you receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, the point of the Holy Spirit, the point of this is to empower us to be sent in to the world, not to come and find some emotional reaction over and over and over again, not for us to find the, the certain kind of speaker that's just going to make us feel the best, and then we can you know go find the best kind of music that just stirs our heart. There's nothing wrong with a good speaker. There's nothing wrong with good music, but that's not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit, this breath and pneuma that you already possess is meant to be found empowering you 
to go and to be the body of Christ, to be sent into the world as Christ is sent into the world. And so there's bad fruit in this hyper-individualistic and emotional experience of spirit. I also think there's bad fruit because as it's so individualistic, our tendency is to sometimes have a feeling or an emotion that the spirit or God is talking to us. And so we have to do this thing or we have to move to this place or we're looking for some kind of justification for why we can think or believe the way that we do. And we have this gut feeling that says the spirit of God says that this is okay. And how many of us have experienced somebody use this language, God says, or the spirit told me or led me to do this. And there's this part of us in the back of our mind that goes, man, I, I think that's just bad Chinese food. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that's what it is. That's not the spirit. I, I'm pretty sure you just want to buy more and more and more stuff. I'm pretty sure you just want to live a more comfortable life. And you're using this language called the spirit to just bring justification for what you want. How many of us have heard people say and use language of the Spirit of God said it was okay or led me to do these things when all that comes out of this work is more brokenness, more hurt, more pain, control? How many of us have heard or seen stories of murder and abuse and someone is saying, the Spirit of God told me this? There's bad fruit Because yes, this is an individual approach to your power as a human being and what this breath means for your life and for the world around you. But it's bad fruit when we take it and we just use it for justification for our own comfort, our own desires. We use it to justify our anger, our hate, our bigotry, whatever it is. It's so Important to remember, not only is this spirit an empowering sending spirit, but it's a very specific kind of sending. As Christ was sent into the world, so this spirit is sending us. In other words, as Christ was one that was found embracing outsiders and those that nobody else wanted to deal with, we are to be sent to embrace outsiders and those that nobody wants to deal with, as Christ was found caring for the needs of those around him, the sick, the needy, the hungry, and he's physically taking care of their needs. We are to be these kinds of people. As Christ was found being a force of grace and peace, forgiving, we are to be a force of grace and peace. This is the power of the Spirit. This is what we are to do, not to justify our own comfort and our own wants and our own desires and our own brokenness. Anything that is outside of caring for those on the outside and the edges, anything that is outside of caring for the needs of those around you, anything that is outside of being a force of grace and peace in the world is not the spirit. It's bad Chinese food. It's your own selfish. It's our own selfish desires and brokenness, and we are using this bad fruit and creating this bad fruit when we say it's the Spirit of God. So as you can imagine, there's some good fruit. And the good fruit is this. This is not centralized on any one 
person around you. This is not centralized on any one system or structure or theology. This is not centralized on any one denomination or church. This is us seeing what is a part of our humanity. And this is us looking at what's in front of our humanity and taking ownership of our own self and our work, our life and our energy in the world, and to understand that you and I have what it takes because there is breath in our lungs, there is spirit in our midst. And it's communities of people that are choosing to engage this work and engage this spirit. This is what has the power to bring so much more love, grace, beauty, peace into the world. You see, it's an interesting thing when we think about this idea of disempowerment versus empowerment. This is something I heard Rob Bell talk about that was really fascinating. Because disempowerment always has an underbelly of despair. In other words, when you feel like you are out of power and you lack the ability to step forward and move forward in the things that you want to, there's always despair attached to that in some way. And what Jesus seems to be doing with his disciples in this moment, this root of the church, is to say, you are now empowered. This is not meant to be driven by despair. And that in the midst of whatever challenge, whatever frustration, angst is in front of you, whatever hurdles you need to get over, whatever grace and beauty that you're trying to bring into the world, that you are empowered to see these things happen, that you are empowered to welcome those on the outside, that you are empowered to take care of people's needs, and you are empowered to forgive, forgive sins. This is a part of your work, and you are not to be found in despair in this work, but to breathe deep and to sense and know this is a part of who you are. And even in those things that are out of your control, you have power to respond and create in the midst of that response. And you are not alone because there's this divine presence that sees you, knows you, embraces you, and is empowering you with more than you could ever realize. I think for many of us, as we look into the future and what's to come, there's a part of us that wonders, man, how how is this going to go? Because there's all these elements around us that we feel like, like, is this, is this really the way things are supposed to go for my family, for my country, for our relationships, for my city? We wonder how things are going to go for our faith community, just our own personal faith. We don't know how any of this is going to go, and so there's this tendency for us to just wonder. And what Christ is doing in the midst of his followers in this moment The roots of this thing called church and Christianity is to see that in the place of not knowing how things are going to go, that we hold the power. And there is no system, there is no institution, there is no political ideal that takes that power from us because this is a part of our very breath. And to find our lives immersed, baptized in this spirit He knows you, he sees you, and he is empowering you now in this moment to do the thing that you know you need to go and do, to forgive, to see and care for the outsider, to embrace those that everyone else is saying they're unworthy of embrace. You have more power to shape the future and the things to come 
than you will ever realize. And so do not believe the lie that it's held by someone other than you. May you see and sense the same experience that the disciples had with Christ. He is looking you in the eye and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. May we go and be this kind of church. I love you. And if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. We'll come back next week with more on roots, branches, and fruit.